Well, good morning. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping, singing songs that we've been able to sing for so long. It's so, uh, yeah, just always my favorite time of year to be able to sing together these songs of old. Um, I want to give a, a special shout out to our friends from Timothy Hill. I think they're sitting somewhere in here, uh, in the back there. Good to see you. So glad that you're with us this morning. Um, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Integrity Church, and I'm thrilled to be able to continue in our Advent series. Um, over to the right, we've lit our third candle, and that uh, symbolizes the Advent of love, which is what we will be talking about this morning, love. Love seems to be a bit of a sore subject in our culture right now, and that is because Nobody seems to know how to define it. We love pizza, right, New Yorkers, right? We love our pizza. We love going to the beach. We love that store that we were at six times, getting gifts. We love our, our, our music, and we love our friends. We love our family. We love our spouse. We love God. And I find it rather unfortunate that we use this same word love to describe so many very different relationships. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why we as a culture are so confused about what love is. Finally, the culture has just given up altogether and said, love is love. That is, that is our bright definition of love. Love is just love. Brilliant, right? The primary problem is that our culture has grown secular. That is, it means, that, that means they do not know God. And here's the thing. Without God, you will not be able to articulate any adequate definition of love. 1 John 4.16 says this. We studied it a couple weeks ago. God is love. God is love. What this means is that God, in his very nature, carries the very essence of what love is. And in other words, do you want to know what love is? Do you want a definition of love? Look to God, who he is and what he has done. Everything that he does is a, is a display of love. He is merciful because he loves. He is gracious because he loves. He is compassionate and kind, patient and enduring, just and wrathful, redeeming and forgiving, all flowing out of his great love. He is the standard of love. Jonathan Edwards, he's coined as America's theologian from the 18th century. He writes, Love is in God as light is in the sun, which does not shine by a reflected light as the moon and planets do, but by its own light and as the great fountain of light. I love that. Love is in God as light is in the sun. In other words, God is the source of love just as the sun is the source of light you cannot separate love from god and god from love 
It's who he is in his very nature. This Christmas, we remember and celebrate the fullest display of God's love, the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus is the greatest demonstration of love ever displayed in the world. And this morning, we're going to consider why that is. We're going to look at six things that the coming of Jesus tells us about God's love. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and God, we just seek you, Lord. You are God, you are love, and we desire to know you and to know your love more. So God, I pray that this morning, as we behold who you are and all you've done, that God, you would open our hearts to see and receive your love more fully, Lord. Even, Lord, as flowers uh, open to the sun, Lord, let us be opened to your love and let it bring us to joy and delight and worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So here are six things that Christmas tells us about God's love. Firstly, God's love is unmerited. God's love is unmerited. That means that God's love is not something that we could earn. It is a gift, not a reward. See, contrary to what we have been told so often in the way that we think of love, we don't deserve God's love. And if we're ever going to begin to comprehend God's love, we must start with this basic biblical truth that we don't deserve it. See, from the beginning when when mankind had fallen and, and, and turned to sin, we forfeited our right to be loved. From the beginning, we had lied and cheated, and we've all lusted, and we've hated and idolized and been selfish from the womb. We are born crying, mine, mine, mine. All are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And this, our evil, our sin, makes us inherently enemies of God who is perfectly good. He is holy and righteous. There's nothing that we could have done to have changed that. Even if we tried our best to live a good life, to be perfect, to be good, all all of our good attempts could not outweigh our sin, our evil, stained. We were and are. We did not deserve God's love. We were enemies of God. But the truth that we celebrate this Christmas, the joy that we get this time of year, is the gospel. We read it so clearly in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Despite our sin, God loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, even while we were guilty and condemned, God loved us. So much so that he sent Jesus down to this earth in the form of a babe to save us from sin and to secure us in his love forever. God does not love because we are worthy. God loves us because he is love and he has chosen to love us. This is so contrary to how we often think of love, isn't it? When we, when we think of love, we, we think that love is reserved for lovely people, for people who deserve our love, for people we're drawn to, for people our affection is set upon. That is what we call conditional love. God's love is far greater than that. It is a gift. Scholar D.A. Carson gives a helpful analogy to help begin to see God's love in a little bit more of a clearer perspective here. Imagine you ask a man, why do you love your wife? You might expect him to say, she's beautiful. She is compassionate and caring, patient, and sweet. If he's extra poetic, he might say, her beauty captivates my soul. Her presence warms me like the sun. I love the way that she makes me feel. I love her. It's nice, right? It's the the Disney-type love here. (laughs) Now imagine I ask another man, why do you love your wife? And he says, she's fatally flawed. She is selfish and hateful. Her breath smells as bad as her lying speech. (laughs) She cheats on me with others and despises me. She runs from me all the time. But oh, I love her. And I love her not because of that, not because of what she does, but because she's my wife and I gave myself to her and I have set my love upon her and it will not quit. Here's my question for you, Integrity Church. Which love is greater? The first scenario or the second? The first is real easy to love. She sounds like a lovely person, easy to love. The second, that's great love. To love someone despite their flaws, their great flaws, this is the kind of love that God has for us. God loves you, and it's not based on your attractiveness. It's not based on your your loveliness or your pleasantness. His love for you is far greater than that, and thank God because I'm quite ugly inside. God loves because he is love. Secondly, God's love is sacrificial. In the birth of Jesus, 
we see that God's love is not cheap, not hollow, but costly and full. It is sacrificial. In the Christmas scene, what we see is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He who was there before the beginning began in glory, in heaven, with the Father, God. We see him step out of eternity and into time, laying aside his glory, taking on the lowliest of form, a babe put in a feeding trough. But this was only the beginning of his sacrificial love. As we know, Jesus grew and lived a humble life, not as a king, but poor, and as a servant. And with his time, he tended and cared to the poor and the outcast. He sought after the sick and lowly. And though a man despised and rejected, he had no sin. Rather, he was betrayed and placed on a cross, bearing the sin of the world for those he loved. The cross is the climax, the most clear picture that we have of God's love, the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me. St. Augustine famously writes, the cross was the pulpit in which Christ preached his love to the world. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is sacrificial. It far exceeds the superficial love that this world offers and that we often settle for. God's love is not selfish. It is the opposite. It is self-giving even self-sacrificing. And this Christmas we behold that very truth, the sacrificial love of Jesus coming down, being born in a manger for you and for me. Thirdly, we see that God's love is redeeming. God's love is redeeming. As perhaps my favorite word ever is the word redeem. It sounds nice, redeem, right? but the meaning is why I cherish this word. The meaning to to be redeemed, it means to take something that is broken and, and, and even worthless and even without meaning and to give it healing, fixing, and not only that, worth and purpose. And that is exactly what God's intent was in sending Jesus for you and for me. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is what Jesus came to do, is to redeem us in his love. That is, to take us as a humanity who was broken and dead in our sin. And he lived a perfect life, sinless. He, he fulfilled God's law perfectly to the T and redeemed mankind in God's sight through his life. It begins at his birth and it goes all the way to the cross. He was perfect, sinless to redeem you and for me because we couldn't do it. We couldn't live perfectly. Jesus stepped into humanity and then redeemed humanity. And this was so that we would be adopted as sons, as God's children. This is a glorious truth that we have that we get to say, Father, every time we pray. Because of what Jesus did, we are children of God. Jesus lived perfectly. He was righteous. And God says he takes Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, and he applies it to all who put their faith in him. So that now when God sees me and all who put their faith in Christ, God sees us as he sees Jesus. Don't ever let that truth get old. God loves you with the redeeming love. He doesn't cancel, he redeems. By his wounds we have been healed. Fourthly, God's love is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. Every Christmas is an invitation to just consider God's deep love for you and for me. How great is God's love? How far would he go to save us? He'd offer himself to die. And considering this, we, we, we need to conclude that God's love is immeasurable and I say this because Jesus' worth is immeasurable. Romans 8.32, Paul, the apostle, proposes this very fascinating question. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's the Josh paraphrase of that. If God would give us his own Son, what would he not do for us? His love is immeasurable because Jesus' glory and worth is immeasurable and Jesus died for us. He gave himself for us. It can be said 
that the, the depth of your love can be determined by what you would sacrifice for someone. So, in other words, if I gave my life for somebody, if I died for somebody, you would understandably and rightfully say, wow, Josh loved that person so much. He, he loved him to the point of giving his own life. That's incredible love, isn't it? All right, now consider this. I'm just a man. My worth is quite, quite normal, quite adequate. I'm a human. All right, Jesus is God. And he was given for you. His love is immeasurable because he, in his glory, is immeasurable. You can't put a number to it. His worth is infinite. And I'm certain that as we come to grasp the glory of Jesus, as we come to know him more and more, that is when we will increasingly begin to know the depths of God's love. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. That we would come to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love for us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How does that begin to happen? It begins to happen as we know Christ's infinite worth and value, God of the universe, Savior and Lord. And the beautiful thing about this truth that God's love is immeasurable is that God's love never grows stale. Ever. It cannot. It never grows old. It only becomes greater and greater as we come to know him more and more. And that's how it will be for all of eternity. A world of love. A heaven of love as we behold the glory of Jesus. Look to him. His love is as immeasurable as his glory. Fifthly, God's love is everlasting. God's love is everlasting. We read this from beginning to end of scripture, this truth that God's love is eternal. It's, it's steadfast. Read through the Psalms over and over and over again. His steadfast love, it endures forever. It never ends. It is everlasting. And the coming of Jesus proves this very truth. As we sang before, come now long expected Jesus as we'll sing other days, O come, O come, Emmanuel. All of creation since the fall of man had longed for and waited for the day that God would fulfill his promise to send a Savior who would save us from our sins. This promise was given to us through Israel. It was Israel who would be the one who would bear this Messiah, the Savior. And here's what we see throughout all the Old Testament. Israel turned on God. 
And Israel is just a reflection of all humanity. We all turn on God. Turned idols. Turned inward towards ourselves. We, fors- we forsake Him and gave up every reason for Him to love us. But the truth that we celebrate this Christmas is that God's love didn't quit. He didn't quit on us. Even while Israel had turned and and we had done nothing to deserve a Savior, God sent Jesus, promised fulfilled the Messiah to this earth. Even while we were unfaithful, God remained faithful. His love never quits. And now in and through Christ, we are assured in God's everlasting love. We are his children forevermore. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul says in Romans 8, 37-39, this very truth. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that we would begin to grasp this love. It would eradicate every fear in our heart and fill us with overwhelming joy. Few things I can think of are more painful than the feeling of betrayed love. The pain of having someone you love turn their back on you, someone you love lose their love for you, quit on you. And it's because of this that breakups, divorce, family splits, division are among the hardest things that we go through in this life but they happen because we live in a corrupted world of what we call conditional love it goes something like this I will love you if you will love me I will love you if you continue to make me feel this way if you continue to meet my needs I will love you if you continue to maintain that image, that that body image. That's not love. God's love is not that. God's love is unconditional. It is everlasting. It is far greater than what we could ever taste on this earth. He will never leave you. Maybe you've been left before. He will never leave you. His love is everlasting. Even in the valley of shadow of death, he remains with you and his love endures. Having said these five things, we can turn to our final sixth point. God's love is supreme. It is supreme. 
There is no higher love, no greater love than the perfect love of God. And His supreme love is the deepest need in our hearts. In the 1940s, psychologist Abraham Maslow put forth what we know as Maslow's Pyramid of Needs. You've probably heard of this. They teach it in school. And this was what he believed was the hierarchy of, of needs of every human being to thrive and to live. And at the center of this triangle, he says, everyone needs love and a sense of belonging. This is an atheist who acknowledges this, who observes something that is true, but I would say he doesn't go nearly far enough. Every human doesn't need love. Every human needs perfect love, the supreme love of God. Because all other love is imperfect, and it is incapable of satisfying the deepest need of our heart. And the problem from the beginning has that we it has been that we have tried to fill that perfect need with imperfect things. And so all throughout the world, from beginning to present, we see humanity filling the void in their hearts with people and with relationships and with marriage and with fame and money and false religion and every kind of idol and none of it satisfies. We are as broken as we ever were, if not more. Hear this, nothing could satisfy the supreme need in your heart but the supreme love of God Almighty, He who created you. Relationships will not satisfy the need in your heart. Marriage will not satisfy the need in your heart. It will be like looking to the moon for light. In its best case, it will be a mere reflection of the sun. God's love is supreme, and His perfect love alone can satisfy the soul. Jesus says in John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the kind of satisfaction that Jesus offers. Perfect satisfaction in him, the creator of your soul. Psalm 63, verse 3, the psalmist writes, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I want to focus on that first half. Consider that. His steadfast love is better than life. Having God's love is better than living another day on this earth. I wonder if we believe that this morning. Perhaps you've tasted it. This is the very thing that drove prophet and apostle, 
missionary and saint to give their very lives for the cause of Christ. To die, literal death, for the cause of Christ. It is because they believed and they knew and they tasted and they experienced that the love of the Lord was better than another moment on this earth. That is the kind of love that we have in Jesus. God's word says, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. We sing that, but do we believe that? That it is better to live one day in the presence of God, experiencing the fullness of his love, than if I were to live a thousand more days outside of his presence, even experiencing everything the world could offer. One day, one day, experiencing the love of God is better. It is better. And it is better because it is eternal. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born to restore fellowship with God and to satisfy our need with himself. Because of him, this Christmas, you and I are invited to taste and see the fullness of God's love, his gift, his sacrificial, redeeming, immeasurable, everlasting, supreme love. This is what we are offered in Jesus and nothing else would satisfy. What do we do with such supreme love? Integrity Church, three things. First, receive it. Receive it. We must choose to receive the love of God. And we receive it by believing in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, we all know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus invites us to receive the fullness of his love, but that will only happen when we receive him as Lord and as Savior. We must recognize that we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We must repent of our sin and believe that Jesus is God and that he came to save you and I. Or we must surrender our lives to him as the rightful Lord, the creator, the lover of our souls. What he says goes. Where he goes, I follow. My life belongs to him. This is faith. It is what it means to believe. It's to live it. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you've never done that. You've never actually received the love that God offers to you. Here's what I'll say. Don't leave this place without least inquiring. Don't leave this place without at least talking to someone who knows the love of God and can encourage you and point you into relationship with Jesus. For many 
Most of us, we are Christian, and maybe some of you are going through a season where you haven't quite felt the love of God. Have you put yourself in a position to receive it? Is my question. Are you growing in your relationship and in your knowledge of Christ? Have you spent time with Him in prayer and in the Word? Have you taken time to contemplate what we celebrate this Christmas? Because this is how God opens our eyes to see and receive His love more clearly. And we're invited every day to that very thing. Today is the opportunity to behold God's love, to receive it afresh in your life. Come to him. Secondly, we must reciprocate it. We must reciprocate God's love. We must reciprocate it firstly to God. God loves not so that we could just carry on away from him, Oh, God loves us. He wants relationship with us. That is why Jesus came, is to bring us into relationship with God. Not so, not so that we would just say a prayer and live life as if nothing happened. We were made for better. God desires us. His command is that we love him with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. He loves us. He desires that we be his children who love their father. But inseparable to loving God is obeying God by loving one another. John in John 14, Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll obey me. <laughs> if you love me, you'll obey me. This is a principle that we can perceive, we can, we can understand. It's not that, you know, it's not that my obedience is what earns the love, that's not it. It's saying if I love Jesus, I'm gonna obey him, period. And Jesus' greatest command, second to love the Lord your God, is love your neighbor as yourself. In John chapter 15, verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If we are to love God, we must also love his children. We must love whom he loves and we must do this as he loved. That is sacrificially. That means me putting you before myself. And, and, and you putting me before yourself. And one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is what we're called to. This is love demonstrated by Jesus and then commanded to us for one another. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're realizing I've not been quite loving as I ought. Maybe you 
need to apologize to someone. Maybe you need to forgive someone. This is the time. As you behold God's love for you, a sinner, to extend that love to those who probably don't deserve it, but neither do you. We must reciprocate God's love. Let his love transform us and empower us to love others well. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Third and finally, we must relay it. We must relay it. Now, I chose the word relay not just because it was an R word that worked well on the screen, that definitely helped, it worked, but I chose it because I love the imagery that it carries. To relay something means to, to take something and to carry it here, somewhere else, and to give it, Right? And oftentimes, the word relay uh, will entail uh, a constant going back and forth, right? And so we know a relay race is, you know, you do one thing, you, you take, you bring it, you pass it, and then it over and over and over again. Well, about two summers, uh, two summers ago, we had a, a relay race for our VBS students. And, and this relay race involved a sponge that you squeeze and you, you dip it in a bucket of water. And you let it fill the sponge, and then you run across to the other side to another bucket, and you squeeze it and pour all the water in there, and then you run back and hand it to the next person. It's a fun game, right? But in many ways, this is exactly what we're called to do with the love of Christ. We are called first to receive it. We're called to reciprocate it and relay it to the world around us that is lost and dying. Do you want to know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? It's because there's still work that needs to be done. The world is very lost. And you and I alone have the answer. It's Jesus. He's coming. But we have a mission as the church. And that mission is to carry the gospel of Jesus, the love of God, to the world around us. Tell them about it. Preach it to them. Hold it like a light in the midst of darkness. We need to relay the love of God to the world around us. But here's the thing. We cannot do it unless we first receive the love of God. And so often we, we will go back and forth between these two and get stuck in one place or another. And we can't do that. That's not good. Sometimes, what happens is sometimes we stay here and we just receive the love of God. We receive the love of God. And we don't do anything. And the problem is, if that's the case, it begins to question, do you actually believe and know and love Jesus? Because he calls you to go over there and bring that love. But if you just stay here, and on the flip side, if, if you're only over here, and you are, you are pouring out, you're, you're doing all these things, doing all these good things, 
for people. And you're not doing it with the love of Christ that you receive over there? You're going to run dry. And when you run dry, you're going to start giving out of your sinful heart. And that's a recipe for disaster. What we need is to constantly go back to the source, Jesus, receive his love day after day after day, and then go out and take it to the world. This is the mission of the church. This is what you and I are called to. And oh, do we have an opportunity, church, this Christmas. As you come into contact with and eat meal with friends and family, many of which you don't know Jesus. Point them, not to the gifts around the tree, to the gift. The gift in the manger, the gift on the cross, our Lord. That is the meaning of Christmas. When you're in the store, you're shopping for family and friends and all these things and, and non-believers say to you Merry Christmas say oh thank you do you you don't even know that like yes Merry Christmas I'm very merry this Christmas because of what Jesus has done let me tell you about him let me tell you about his love offered for you as he offered it and offers it to me my prayer is that this Christmas we would be filled with God's love. His love that is a gift, that is sacrificial, that is redeeming, that is immeasurable, that is everlasting, that is supreme. May we look to him and increasingly grasp his everlasting love and may it compel us to preach it to the world around us, all for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and considering the gift we've received this Christmas, the gift of your love displayed in the giving of your son. Firstly, God, we give you thanks. We do not deserve the grace that you've given us, the gift that you've given us, but we have received it because you are God and you are love. We thank you so much for that truth, Lord. God, I pray that this Christmas season, as we continue to celebrate, Lord, let us just remember the reason that we celebrate. Let us constantly fix our eyes upon you, upon Christ and what he has done. God, I pray that your love would continue to transform us day by day. We love you, Father. We love you. Lord, let your love stir in us holy affection for you and for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.